Good morning again. Do find your seats. You might have noticed behind me there was a whole bunch of pictures that were going on through the announcements. And that was just our church has left the building last week. Just want to celebrate that and the uh, involvement. So thanks for getting involved. We had four different things going on last week. Church has left the building in Wales and Ellesmere Port and Chester, uh, Blaken and all around. So we love that. And thank you. Some great pictures, as you can see. Right. So this morning, we're starting a new series. You've come at a good moment. New series in the run-up to Easter, a few weeks away. And the series is called Famous Last Words. Famous Last Words. And we're going to look at the final phrases that Jesus spoke from the cross. So he's on the cross and his final hours on earth. And he speaks these statements. There's seven in total. And they are just really quite wonderful. They're held dear by Christians around the world. And they give us this glimpse into what Jesus is doing, into the suffering that he's going through for us. And we'll see they are phenomenal. They're life-changing. They are challenging. They're some of the most transcendent and timeless words ever spoken in human history. That's what we're going to look at. And it tells us a lot about Jesus. It'll tell us a lot about who we are. And so as we move towards Easter, that's the plan. Seven sayings from the cross, famous last words. It's going to be wonderful. Now, obviously, we can learn a lot from the final words that someone speaks out. I remember being deeply shaped by my own dad's final words. Like he'd been ill for maybe a year and a half and for a long time. And in his final days, he was um, just in bed and uh, he, he just woke up briefly. And he spoke to my mum and me about the glory of God. Like he kind of came awake and he was radiant in this way. He just spoke about the glory of God. And he, he said a few things like he was going there before us and not to worry about him. And, and then he went back to sleep. It was this incredibly profound moment for my mum and, and for me. Uh, there's several historic examples of famous last words. I thought I'd pick a few, just if you're interested. Bob Marley, musician, his final words, money can't buy life. It's pretty profound. Caesar Augustus, the famous Roman emperor, he said, I found Rome a city of clay and left it a city of marble, which he did. That's his famous last words. Some of them are a little bit more on the funny side. So the playwright Oscar Wilde, a poet, he says, either those curtains go or I do. Apparently his last words. Uh, Beethoven, just incredible last words. He, sa he said, I shall hear in heaven. And he'd been deaf for most of his life. He'd composed all this music. Those were his final words. Now, I didn't want it to get too intense. kind of is, isn't it? Last words. And so I added this one as well, um, which is, honey, those jeans don't really suit you. <laughs> Unknown husband. So I've added that one. But the point being... We get to listen in to Jesus' last words. Like, what a privilege. The last things that he's going to say. We're going to look at the very first statement today. So if you've got a Bible, looking at Luke's account, he writes a biography of Jesus' life. Luke chapter 23. It will come up on the screen as well. Just a few verses. So two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him. That's Jesus. 
to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Those are the words. They divided up his clothes and casted lots. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him and offered him some wine vinegar and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And I'm just going to pause there. The cross is central to the Christian faith. One commentator that I read this week said, you could sum up the whole of the New Testament, even the whole of the Bible, as a, as a commentary on the cross. It's where God makes us sons and daughters if we respond to its work. It's where eternal life for, for humans kind of springs out of Jesus' death. At the cross, we see God's clearest revelation of who he is. So it's the center point of Christianity. And just to pull you up to speed with where we're at, Jesus had lived this perfect life, faultless, like he completely fulfilled the will of God. This guy never did anything wrong. He loved everyone with an unconditional love. He loved people that society rejected. He challenged religious people to come on, know God personally. His teaching changed lives. He healed the sick. He provided food for the hungry, like miracle after miracle after miracle. And although everything he did was right, he gets betrayed by a friend. He's taken before a corrupt court with false witnesses there. And even though they found no fault in him, he's condemned. His closest friends abandon him. Uh, he gets tortured. He's mocked by the Roman authorities. He's beaten over and over again it says with a, with a whip that was made from metal and rocks and glass that would just rip his back open insulted by everyone spat on pelted with rocks it's horrific and so here we read that he's he's led out of Jerusalem Jerusalem was supposed to be the place of God's presence he's led out of it and he's nailed on a cross he never retaliates he never speaks a word of evil against those torturing him. Like, how has it descended that far? How's this happened? Like, God on a cross? Who would have thought that? And not so much that Jesus just dies, but he dies on a cross. Uh, one historian says that the cross was the ultimate shame that a human being could experience. It's the worst execution device ever invented. Death came really slowly. Typically over 24 hours, the body would slowly suffocate itself. That's how people would die. And so in order for someone to speak on the cross, the person who's already been beaten and already been whipped and in the heat of the sun and sleep deprived, they'd have to pull themselves up on the wounds in their back, relentless pain. That the most extreme word in the English language that we have to describe pain is excruciating. Uh, and that word, it comes from the Latin excruciatus, which makes me think of a Harry Potter thing. But anyway, that's where the Latin word comes from. But it just means from the cross. So this most grotesque pain, this word that we know, it's from the cross. And so in sheer agony, Jesus summons the strength somehow to speak. And what's he going to say? 
Like you're going to listen in in that moment. Is he going to curse the people abusing him? Is he going to pray for relief from his pain? And what he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Just stunning words. This prayer that Jesus utters on a cross. And it has tons of significance for us. And we're going to look at three areas. I mean, it's not surprising that Jesus prays, I guess, like he was a person of prayer. He taught people how to pray. He opened his public ministry of prayer, and now it's closing. He's praying again. He's constantly communicating with his heavenly Father. And if you're interested with this prayer, it fulfills a 700-year-old prophecy. And so people have written about Jesus 700 years before in Isaiah. You read this, for he bore the sins of many. And made intercession, which means he prayed, for the transgressors. So for the wrongdoers, he's praying for them. But three things I just want us to think about this morning from these famous last words. And the first one actually is a form of question. And I think it's grammatically all wrong as well. But I didn't necessarily change it. But who is the them? Okay. When Jesus uh, says, Father, forgive them, who is the them. Now, there's an obvious answer. There's multiple groups of people at this scene. There's the people watching. We've heard about them. Now, they'd a few weeks earlier, a few days earlier, just celebrated Jesus' arrival. They would have heard him teach. Some of them might have been healed by Jesus, but they're suddenly heaping abuse on him. Then there's the rulers sneering, it says. The Greek word, if you're interested, again, for sneering just means to turn up your nose in disdain. It's like just a, um, a horrible way of treating someone. Again, it was prophesied in the Old Testament. But the religious leaders, the priests, the Pharisees, in their theology, someone hanging on a tree or a cross was cursed by God. So how could this Jesus be a savior? How could he be God? And well, they didn't realize in that exact moment, Jesus was being cursed, but on their behalf and for their freedom. So they're there. We're told there's the soldiers there mocking. If you're the king of Jews, save yourself. And they gamble over his clothes. So he's surrounded by people that have turned their back on him, who oppose him, who are crucifying him. And like, what a scene. What a moment in history. The God of all creation rejected on a cross, being crucified by his own creation. John, he writes an account of this, and he says he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. So Jesus looks at all those people, prays, Father, forgive them. But was there anyone else there in the scene? Now the church through 2,000 years of history, has always believed that he was also praying for us. That he was praying for every human being who would be born from that time on forwards, that he was praying, Father, forgive them. There's an old hymn that I remember singing when I was growing up, and I didn't know understand many of the words, but I did get these ones. And it was, were you there when they crucified my Lord? And the answer to that question in a strange kind of way, is yes, is yes, I was there. And so when I picture Jesus hanging on the cross, I remember that that he's the Lord of time and space and, and through history. And in a way, he cries out our names and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know 
what they're doing. I forgive John. That's me. I forgive Sarah. Forgive Pete. Forgive. I could go on and on. This word is for us. We are the them. We're the them. I love what John started. He writes about the cross. And he, he says this, before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. Like our own guilt and our own sin. And we're, we're kind of complicit in the crowd at the crucifixion. Either we're frustrated and cheering on Jesus' crucifixion because he didn't do what we hoped he would do. Or we're like the religious people and we just want to make, maintain control. Or maybe we've run off from the scene like some of the disciples fled. We're there. We're complicit in the death of Jesus. We are the them. Second thing to notice from these final words is that Jesus is praying for our most important needs. Okay, we're the them, and then he's praying for our most important need. He didn't pray for, for healing or for blessing. Now, those are important prayers to pray, and we'll pray them all the time. But this moment, Jesus is praying for our most important need, forgiveness. It's why he came. It's what the cross is all about. He came so that we could have life with God. Uh, Jesus at the Last Supper, um, moments, well, a few days before, he's sitting around a table with his closest friends and he holds up this glass of wine and they don't really know what he's doing or what he's saying. But he says, this is my blood and it's going to be poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Our greatest need. Now, to say to someone, I forgive you, implies that they've done something wrong. And when Jesus says, for they don't know what they're doing, you're like, well, what does he mean by that? Surely the Romans knew what they're doing with the nails. Surely they know they're going to kill him. Uh, Jesus isn't referring to that. He's saying they don't realize the implications. They don't realize they need forgiveness. And, and maybe for some of us here this morning, we don't realize that we need forgiveness either. But this act, Jesus on the cross is making it clear to all the people around and he's saying it in his final words that, that we need forgiveness. That all of us have strayed from God's path. That we have a heart condition. We have this propensity to do the wrong thing. I think if we're honest, we know that. A definition of sin is to stray from the path or to miss the mark. That there's this way we're meant to go to be fully human. And if we go that way, we're not going to hurt each other. And there's enough food for everybody. And we're not going to hate. And we're not going to have wars if we go that way. But we don't. And we don't have the right relationships that even we often long for. We don't walk that path. And so this opening statement on the cross, this reminder that we are broken and in need of help. That's the kind of bad news, that there's something wrong at the core of us. But the good news, and the good news way outweighs the bad news, is that at Easter we see Jesus as a savior. One more thought about sin, okay? Because it starts at a very early age. This week I was... Reading this, and I suddenly, out of the blue, remembered a moment in my life when I was about seven. I think it was seven. And um, we lived up the road from a few shops. 
And uh, I was just getting into music for the first time. And back then, you bought tapes, if you know what tapes are. And I'd saved up my money, and I went to this tiny shop, and it had this little section where you buy music, and I found the album I wanted. I, I'm not even going to tell you what it is, because it's too embarrassing. It is so embarrassing. Anyway, I found the album I wanted, but there was this problem, because I just didn't have the money. What there was also in this shop uh, was a sale section on the other, other side. And those tapes were a lot cheaper. And so my seven-year-old brain came up with an idea that I was going to make my own sale. And uh, I peeled off the sale stickers and I stuck it on the album that I... I don't know why this story came to mind this week. I haven't thought about it for years. It's so embarrassing. But anyway, that's what I did. And I can remember like how wrong it felt and how scared my heart is like pounding uh, in my chest as I take it over to pay for this, this tape. Now, if anyone in here is seven years old, like that is not a good idea. Just want to say that. And, uh, and today there's scanners and cameras and you'll end up in prison. Um, but, but for me, that wasn't the case. And I walked out of the shop with that tape at the cheap price. I never did it again, um, I think because I felt so guilty in the years gone, you know, after that. And I felt scared that I might still be caught up by the police or whatever. Uh, in fact, I was thinking about it this week. I might even look up this shop and see if I can repay the debt. But anyway, that's another thing. We can make amends sometimes, and that's okay. That's great. But the real problem is deeper. Like, we, we break promises. We hurt others even when we don't mean to. And sin creates this barrier between us and each other and us and God. And it has to be dealt with. Even at seven, I was causing trouble. Like, what's wrong with us? We need forgiveness and a heart change. How does Jesus' death on the cross save us from our sins Kind of a confusing question, isn't it? And I'm not, I won't say as much this week as we've got the next few weeks as well. But the New Testament, it has all these incredible images of what the cross is and the, what forgiveness looks like. Um, like the cross is a ransom. So it's a payment for the debt of our, our sin. Uh, it's a substitution. So Jesus is offering himself in our place. It's a reconciliation, meaning that God's justice is satisfied. He's a just God. It represents victory, where Jesus being lifted up is actually triumphant. It's triumphing over sin and Satan and death and hell. It's an ultimate sacrifice, so no more are needed. And it's the foundation of a new humanity that Jesus is building. So there's a whole bunch of things, and we'll look at those over the weeks. But the cross was incredibly costly to him. This offer of new life that is available to any of us, to all of us, as a free gift, was costly to him. And, and the question is, will we accept his mercy and forgiveness? With them, our greatest need is forgiveness. And finally, one more thing to think about. Jesus models here what it means to be human. He models what it means to be human. So he's not only a savior dealing with our sin, but he's also come to be our Lord. Now, to be our Lord means to, to like be the captain of our ship or he'd be the one that guides us. Not just guides us, he leads our lives. He's the king 
and we choose to follow him. That's what it means to be a Christian, to put him first in our lives. And in this moment, in this prayer, Jesus is showing us what it means to be authentically human. Jesus spent much of his time teaching about the importance of forgiving others. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Blessed are the merciful, and they'll receive mercy. He taught, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. When Jesus taught people how to pray, he said, Our Father in heaven, and hallowed be your name. And it goes down, goes down, and it says, um, Forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgiveness. Now, we ran um, an Alpha course a while back. We're doing one at the, at the moment, which is wonderful. And a story from a while back. And there was this, this chap on it, and he was starting to, to follow Jesus. He was just starting to accept this stuff about his need uh, of a savior. And he, he remembered, a bit like me in the shop, he remembered something in his past. And one night in his youth, he and some mates had actually gone and vandalized an empty church. And although it was 17 years um, after, you know, he, he's in this moment thinking about it, uh, he just feels like he wants to confess it and ask for forgiveness. And he thinks about contacting that old church and sending them some money to say sorry. Um, his, his brother was like, it's a stupid idea. You're going to end up being arrested. Just don't do it. But he calls the pastor there who immediately reassures him that he's forgiven. It's wonderful. And the church would be grateful to receive any money. They said that. They said that as well. Um, however, the story went on, and he mysteriously struggled to, uh, to send the money online. No, I don't know why, but he had trouble doing it. And so eventually, the pastor invited him to go there in person and share his story of what God had done in his life. As you can imagine, that service was profound. And there was people there who remembered the vandalism of a few years earlier. Uh, there was a woman who remembered that um, the, the memorial to her son had been destroyed and strewn across the room. And so for her, it was a moment of reconciliation. And she actually did start some work with God and with him in that moment. Um, others who were, were angered, there, there was a bunch of kids there who turned up the following day to their youth group and everything was trashed and they had to clear up and they'd been angry. But they'd started to pray for the perpetrators and suddenly they got to see the end of the story. This guy had become a Christian. It's great encouragement to see that for their church and this wonderful story of forgiveness. Well, I think we all know that forgiving others is easier said than done. And the chances are in a room this size that there will be a lot of people who are carrying hurts of all shapes and sizes. And some wounds go deeper than others. Um, some we could be suffering for, for for a whole length of time. I, I came up with three kinds of wounds that we might be carrying. First is, is like a surface scratch. Everyday bumps and bruises of living in a fallen world. It's, it's hurt feelings. Uh, it's when someone says something insensitive and there's a, like a little wound caused. We, we all have these. A friend does something thoughtless and it stings. But often these are easily overcome. They're corrected by a, you know, like a good apology. But the second wound I'm going to call um, a puncture wound. And this just goes a little bit deeper. It's like into the muscle. Um, it's a 
parent who wasn't there when you needed them the most. Uh, or a family member who does something or says something that is really wounding. Maybe it's a friend you confided in and you thought you could trust and then you find out they're talking behind your back. It's different than a surface scratch. It kind of breaks the skin. It will heal over in time, maybe, but it still leaves a mark. Surface scratches, puncture wounds, and then the third of called a pierced heart. And this is like, one of those life events that just goes straight into your soul and causes tremendous pain. It's maybe a betrayal you never expected, or it's an assault from a, assault from a stranger, or it's abuse from someone you trusted. And it's like having your heart pierced, um, a family member, a divorce, a breakup, and it's so tough, and the pain goes straight into the heart. Forgiveness is not easy. And I want to say one thing we collectively all have together is we'll be on a journey with this. We will all have to practice receiving forgiveness, forgiving others, and forgiving ourselves. All three of those we'll have issues with. Receiving forgiveness of God, um, forgiving others, and forgiving ourselves. So I just wanted to end with a, a tiny bit of advice on this. See, I've become convinced that the only way at all that this is possible is as we continually look at the cross. And as we grasp more of how Jesus forgives us and how on the cross Jesus faces those three kinds of wounds. He, he faced the surface scratches, the insults and the mocking and the jeers. He, he faced the puncture wounds and all his friends like one by one running away and of course the pierced heart. And from rejection and betrayal and abandonment. It's going to take time. Forgiving isn't excusing. It's not saying, ah, oh, it's no big deal. Ah, oh, it's okay. Like, and minimizing the impact. Forgiveness is way more robust than that. It's saying what you did is unacceptable, but I forgive you nonetheless. And that's what God does with us. It's unacceptable, but he forgives us nonetheless. Forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean forgetting. It doesn't mean condoning. It doesn't mean tolerating or overlooking. If we choose the path of forgiveness, it's just a path of love rather than a path of hate. I found out recently that the, the most distinctive feature of the Christian church for the first 300 years, the, the key thing that they lived out was that they loved their enemies and prayed for those who persecuted them. That was like the verses that they read all the time. That was how they lived daily life. And they had to take it pretty seriously because they were under persecution and torment for 300 years. But what it resulted in was thousands and thousands and thousands of people coming to faith receiving forgiveness themselves from each other and from God. In fact, the whole Roman Empire uh, it starts saying, Father, forgive us for what we've done as it's converted to Christianity. Not easy, not quick, but we need to go on a journey. And you see, unforgiveness is just horrible. Unforgiveness robs our sleep. It steals our peace of mind. I've heard it said this way, unforgiveness is like drinking a bottle of poison and thinking your enemy's going to drop dead. Uh, Lewis 
don't know how to pronounce the surname, the author wrote this, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. Again, for some of us this morning, there'll be bitterness that's taken root in our heart. Could be any of those situations I've mentioned before. And it's taking up space that the Holy Spirit could be filling. It's taking up space that God's power wants to come into. We can hinder uh, what God does through bitterness. Very practically, let's look at the cross. And Jesus' advice is this. It's love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. It's not easy but it's to try and do something good, maybe this week. It's not easy, but it's to bless. It's maybe just to, um, to commit in our heart to speak well of that person. And it's to pray for those who mistreat us. Not praying that they'll get hurt by God. That's probably a misuse, but praying good things, not bad things. So Jesus hanging on the cross, these famous last words. It could have been anything But he speaks out loud and he shows what it means to be human. And it's the answer to so much of the pain in the world. We are the them. We have this sin diagnosis. There's something that's not right, but it can be fixed. Our greatest need is forgiveness. And God offers us that. He offers us grace and mercy even this morning. We can accept it. We can open it up. And then we can live into it. 